On June 7th, Iola was host to a Black Lives Matter solidarity rally, becoming one of over 2,000 cities across our country rallying to support black lives and stand against racism. The movement continues, as a recent death of Rashard Brooks, who was shot to death by a police officer outside in Atlanta Wendy's on June 12th, and the commemoration of Juneteenth, the oldest known celebration honoring the end of slavery in the United States, keep our national conversation focused on race and injustice. With this in mind, I sat down with Nicole and Daniel Schoengert. In recent weeks, both have taken an increasingly active role in fighting for racial justice, attending marches, creating petitions, and reaching out to their friends and family. I wanted to talk to them about why they've joined this cause, so they invited me to their home, and we started recording. I'm Tim Stauffer, this is Registered, and here's our conversation. Thanks for doing this. I'm just going to go ahead and get started if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about the root of your guys' um, sense of activism or, or political awareness. Um, is this part of your identity that's always been there or is this something that, that's new? So I've had some experiences growing up with um, racism and things being said to me. Um, and but. My personality is not to to speak up and to that's just not in my personality to um, speak up and speak out. I guess to say um, I think that's more Daniel. He's he can say what he wants when he wants. Usually and knows has the right words. And for me, I'm usually more of a quiet person, which can you know make me not speak up and make me not be ready to say something right away when I see something or hear something. But um, for sure since the death of George Floyd and you know we're all home, we're all quarantined and seeing this and seeing the spark that it has made in the US, like it for sure, you know, makes you think about it and makes you think about like what has happened and all, everything in the past that has happened. And, um, yeah, I think since moving here, um, you know, we've had some more opportunities to, to speak up and it hasn't been until these recent times here that it's given me a little bit more of an empowering feeling when I have said something, it gives me confidence to, you know, move forward and say more things when those things do, when, you know, when the injustices do happen. So that's kind of been my experience, but Daniel is yeah, so we're a little bit more outspoken than I am. Well, we're a little different on that. I told Nicole that I kind of want my, it's kind of a joke, kind of not, but on my tombstone, kind of want my core quote for myself is that if not me, then who? Uh, <laughs> and I wasn't naturally a speaker, wasn't naturally um, able to do that, but I feel like I've, it feels as if there's a train driving me right now that cannot stop. And I've only had that feeling once ever in my life. Huh. And the um, racial inequality has been a part of my deep, deep sense of unfairness since I was about eight years old. Um, my sister remembers I had um, some black friends in Kansas City and my older brother's uh, friends came around, saw them in our house, 
brought me downstairs and said, why are you hanging out with those N-words? Do you remember that? Uh, very clearly. Wow. Um, I was crying a lot. My sister had to comfort me, my dad, but the crying lasted maybe five, ten minutes, and then the anger at the unfairness and desire to do something about it uh, began. And that's part of becoming an attorney. I decided that that, that exact one helped my decision to become an attorney, but it wasn't the only thing, that I wanted to be able to do something about it. And I wasn't a speaker. I wasn't trained at being able to be articulated in any sort of way. Uh, so I knew that I had to be trained to do that. So I had been right. So, so the, the recent events for me have not affected anything other than giving an opportunity. And I don't mean to say it as if someone had to be sacrificed to have an opportunity, but um, I've you've been writing articles in the paper about the difference between racism and, and prejudice um, long before some of these recent events. So it has been something in me a lot longer and I've been looking for an opportunity to talk more because it is an issue in, in all communities and particularly ours. We are 92% white, we have a lack of diversity. That's was a consideration for Nicole and I, whether we were going to stay in Iowa. Uh, and I'm certainly not the authority on this issue. The more I research and learn, the more I learn that I, how much I don't know. But I feel an obligation to try uh, and try to learn as much as I can and impart as much of that on others. We do have a platform here locally, and I feel like we can make a bigger impact. So I think we have an obligation to do it. We'll be right back. Our children's program is in full swing this summer at Southeast Kansas Mental Health Center. If your child is struggling with their mental health and could use some skills to cope, please give us a call at 365-5717 to schedule an appointment today. As our referrals are coming in, we're also looking to add to our dynamic staff. To apply and view details, please visit our website at sekmhc.org. Mental Health Matters and Southeast Kansas Mental Health Center is here to help. Nicole, I want to touch base on something you said. The more you speak out, the more empowered you feel. For sure. Um, where does that come from? <laughs> I mean, I'm a person who will be the first one to say, like, I, I want to avoid conflict. So that's just me as a person. But um, I think that just the, there was something that happened at work and um, someone approached me and said that they had a, a problem with um, a group of Mexican, um, like a company who had Mexican workers and that person was scared to approach them because of them being a Mexican group of men. And she didn't feel like she could do that like on her own because of, you know, whatever um, Some stereotype around had. there. Yeah. yeah. And normally, <laughs> I think that I would have just let that go. Like, oh, it's just one thing she said, and you know, that I don't, I don't need to say anything. Like, I'm just going to let this go. But I think the more that she started talking about it and was very open with it about, like, uh, about it with me, I really kind of felt like that nerv nervousness rising up and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, 
I have to say something like I can't um, I can't let the person walk out of the door thinking that that's okay like so after I approached it the situation and um, I was able to address the issue um, I felt way better about the fact that I did compared hmm. to not you the know cost avoiding of silent. Yeah. yeah um but I feel like that's helped me you know maybe for anything else that might come that I don't have to be scared I don't have to um just be silent and and say nothing and let this happen you know let this continue to happen without someone saying something but I think that's part of What's so inspiring about these new events is that it's not just black people who are on the streets. There are people, it's a rainbow of races and ethnicities. Mm -hmm. And I think I was reading some commentary that for the first time, white people are really turning out for this stuff. You know, it's kind of been something that, um, it's different. And you look at the, the recent polling around attitudes of, is racial discrimination a problem? And you've seen 20, 30% jumps in just two, three years, five years. And I wanted to touch on that because I think it's part of being in Iola. How do you work to kind of help your kids understand the importance of diversity in a community that's mostly white? How do you, you said something, Daniel, that stuck with me. You said, our world is not the world. And it really, it's been kind of bouncing back in my brain ever since you said it. Yes. Um... For our kids, we've tried to expose them to as much diversity as possible, but it's been a struggle to do that. And Nicole would take the kids to story time in Wyandotte County when they were younger, and she remembers a particular time where around the story time there was a child with an afro, black child with an afro, there was a Chinese child, many Hispanic children, and then several white children. They were all there, and so from a young age, I think kids need to be exposed and have a face and have people that they know of so they can see them as humanity and see people as being equal because children have a very big sense of fairness they immediately this isn't fair or that isn't fair and so we've tried to first expose them to it which has to be very intentional uh, to expose them so they can see it for themselves personally, not just on TV, but, some, but not everyone's going to have the opportunity to take their kids to every diversity, but even in, you know, Chanute has fiestas. And mm-hmm. So trying to expose them has been one thing to try to, for our kids, to expose them to, to what the problem is throughout the world, because they aren't going to see it as much locally. But it is here, and I think that's been a big misconception. As I talk to people in the past two weeks, I've been shocked at how many people, even that I know uh, closely, don't believe there is a problem, and don't believe there is a problem in Iowa, and don't believe that minorities or black people or Hispanic people have been subject to racism or prejudices. It is a shocking amount of people that I have encountered that don't believe that basic fact. What I've noticed some saying as well, I know this black family, or I know this black family, and they've never been subject to racism because they've never said anything. Well, it's very difficult for a black person in a community like ours to speak out and say it because if a black person says something with too much emotion, uh, with 
too much arm flailing or too much anything, they're labeled as a threat and labeled as the stereotype. So for the black community, what I've heard from them is that it, they have to be so careful about how they say things. And that's part of you know the white privilege. I can get up at a rally and I can speak passionately and I can say about whatever I want and I'm gonna have less pushback. Uh, so part of this is recognizing that disparity. How do you guys have those conversations with friends and family? How do you kind of start that off with people who aren't either of the same mindset or, um, you know, aren't really even on the same page? Is that energy that you're even willing to invest at this point? I mean... I think that we've just, I've just noticed when I have conversations, I'll usually describe, you know, um, Daniel and his family, they, he comes from a large family and he has like a whole uh, family text stream going on about this issue, which I think is really great. Yeah, 22 people on the, on yeah. the stream talking about people it. texting back and forth their opinions and, and things. And so it's a discussion over text. And so I will, I'm very interested in that and the things that have been said. And so I've used kind of that because that was the starting point on discussion with a group of people. So if I'm around with my friends, um, I will all say, oh, yeah, Daniel had a text and, you know, this was said and that was said. And that's my way of starting the conversation, like trying to get, oh, what do you guys think? Or, you know, without even having to say that, I'm making it a discussion. So you bring it, it up. You, you yeah. kind of you kind of right. initiate yeah. those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I start with, uh, I, I bring them up as well. One thing I've said, and I have to be careful not to come on too strong because I feel like as an activist uh, of sorts right now, in my heart, I want everyone to be an activist and I want them to be an activist right now, but that's not realistic. Uh, so having conversations, I, I have said to some people that pretty much if, if you don't want to hear about race right now, then you may want to steer clear of me Unplug. because I'm, yeah, going, so, yeah. I'm going to be talking about it and that's that. Uh, so, I've had, the past two weeks, I would say has been exhausting, but the energy hasn't subsided at all. So I'll start the conversation with trying to find common ground and try to find out where they're at. So, do they think there's a racial inequality problem or not? Um, where can we agree on things? Just to, to get it with a common ground. Because if you start off getting the other person very defensive, they're not going to hear anything you have to say. And I'm not just going in it so they can hear what I have to say. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear uh, everyone's perspectives. They're going to know things that I don't know. And so I don't want to go on it with an arrogant, I am the authority and I know this. I want to learn from them, them learn from me. So it starts with the common ground. What I've run into is if we do that, there is this immediate defensiveness. Um, there are trigger words like white privilege. That's a big trigger for a lot of people. Uh, Black Lives Matter, that's a trigger for a lot of people. And so I try to find out, you know, why is that a trigger uh, and, and dig into that. And then admitting, people don't want to admit that they have racist or prejudiced thoughts. And so I will tell some own stories myself of where I have been prejudiced or I have been racist. I had one two days before I gave that speech at the rally. Uh, I had a pretty bad racist thought when we were in Kansas City. And I was getting up to speak 
to a lot of people that went off on the internet all over the place and two days before I had a pretty bad racist thought in my head. So I'll admit that thought to others and I've found that that will sometimes soften to where then they can feel like they're not being judged and, and so it starts with admitting there's a problem and then sometimes if we can get deep into it we'll go through some of the historical things briefly and get some real tangible facts of why there is a problem and and go through it but but I, I I have been if someone's completely closed off to it then I do need to just stop and move on to someone who will be open to it but I want to plant that seed and uh, every every I believe everyone can change no matter how old they are and that's one thing I didn't say in the speech that I planned to is that I I really get tired of hearing that person's old they came from a different generation it's just how things were then. Right. It's how they are. That's just, then that's okay. And so right. I can understand someone being from a different generation. At the same time, I don't believe anyone gets a free pass because they're bringing these views down to the next generation and the next generation. That's how it's passed on. I think about how racism's in the air, right? And so you're thinking, oh my gosh, I had this racist thought and I'm about to show up at a Black Lives Matter rally. It's a constant process of educating yourself, checking your beliefs, and kind of never really feeling like you get there. I think sometimes we look at the world and we look at humans as like, okay, you're racist or you're not racist. And once you're not racist, you're not racist forever. And you never really have to worry about that again. I really like that you said that. Um, there's a book I'm listening to on Audible right now. The title may sound like a turnoff, but it's How to Be an Anti-Racist is actually the title of it. But he goes through how there are so many people who will, even in a speech, even an activist, will say an anti-racist and a racist comment within the same within the same paragraph. So that person can't be identified as they're a racist, or they're not racist, or they're anti-racist. They're we, we have that we're very complex, and so we have these different ones. And just to briefly touch on that, part of the premise of this book at the beginning at least, is the opposite of racism isn't not racist. So... It's not I don't see color. Right. And, and, and even the I don't see color is... That's not right. Color does exist. There's a great movie line where uh, a black girl tells her white boyfriend, he said, I don't see color. And she said, if you don't see my blackness, then you don't see me. Hmm. So color does exist and there are cultural things to take into account. but. But the, the anti-racist and racist, so the opposite of racist is actually anti-racist. And that's being intentional about combating racism. On, not everyone's going to give a speech at a rally or start a petition or do something, but they can talk to other community members. If, if someone says, I'm not racist, that suggests can suggest neutrality. That's your neutral in this. And many times what happens is that ends up with their head stuck right in the sand. So my push now is to act to, to, to be anti-racist, not to just be in that neutrality. These are big thoughts, <laughs> complex things to, to talk about. How do you do it with your kids? I mean, 13 and 11, right? Right. Um, I mean, let alone a, an adult, how do you... <laughs> for I guess for our kids, um, 
what has happened is we've explained um, the situation of George Floyd. Um, they've watched part of the clip. Not the most. The video. We've been careful of what they can see of it, mm-hmm. but we did allow them to see some of yeah. it. Were they curious about it? I mean, did they say, hey, mom, dad, what's going on? I think, um, and before they saw, I did some explaining. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it was more, they're just listening and they just can't believe, like they can't believe that 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 would happen. Like just, it's like mind blowing to them that that would happen to someone. Mm -hmm. And so I think we use... um, that event and talk about events past to them and we do after um thinking about it we do a lot of explaining to our kids like we talk it's an open discussion and on all topics and so we've kind of built that for them um to where it's not strange that we would be having a full-on discussion um you know about george floyd and about all the other um, people who have died. Um, Did you grow up talking as a as a young girl in your family about race and racism? No, we didn't. We huh. really didn't. Um, you were explained a lot of things about what you oh, had to do true. as a Hispanic. No, that is so. true. But I wasn't. It, yeah, that's true. I mean, my my mom and dad. I remember them telling me whenever I go to a store to make sure that I have my receipt. Um, mm that I don't throw my receipt away. Even as I'm walking out of the store, you know, the trash cans are right there at the door. Like normally you're like, I don't need this. Um, I was taught to keep that just in case I was ever accused of stealing something. And not just because of that, because of, because of, because, right. Because of being, um, Hispanic looking, um, you know, being in a store, and you know keep your receipts just in case so were these difficult conversations to have then with your kids or were there some of them i guess not 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 really at their age i think it's there are different age groups of what kids can handle but i think kids can handle more than we give them credit for and i think that getting at them at a very young age and not sugarcoating it too much Mm -hmm. and not watering it down too much because if we water it down, we, all, we want to protect our children from the evil of this world. But that doesn't mean putting them in a bubble where they don't know these things exist. So we try to be pretty open about what's going on as, as much as is as appropriate. I mean, I'm not going to describe, even though our kids do, did do the demonstration with George Floyd, but I'm not going to get into too much gruesome details. But they know the, they know the history of slavery they know uh, exactly how slaves were brought over here how they would be sit next to another dead slave for a week uh, packed in like sardines they laid on the ground for eight minutes and 46 seconds yeah. with right. their guys yeah. so they they know we've, we've been pretty blunt with them because it's a serious issue and if we water it down too much they're not going to understand the gravity of it because yeah i think it's incredible what's going on right now i'm in a little concerned that it's starting to fizzle a little bit and I think every generation is going to continue. I'm, I'm not. This is the, the Birmingham bus boycott to integrate the bus system lasted 381 days. Of course, the civil rights movement lasted far longer than that. But this is for a long haul. And I think our generation can do a lot. But then I think their generation is going to take it even further 
which is why we want to give them as much information as, as we can at a young age. I was just going to say, I feel like they are going to be the ones who we can help them make the change even when we're gone. Like that's, you know, it's really important, I think, to educate children at an, a young age um, about the things that have, that have happened. Um, and they've been receptive. You found them to be willing to engage in those conversations and not, a, oh gosh, here's another lecture type of thing. <laughs> they give us the, I don't want another lecture about a lot of things. Uh, this is not one of those. Yeah. Yeah. This has been one that they've had a, a good understanding of. And I think you can hit home for them a little bit because Nicole's grandmother came over here from Mexico on her father's shoulders. Um, they, she, her grandmother came over originally undocumented, um, became a citizen eventually, but they have family that they've of color that they can see. And this isn't, we've been careful to not make this about the Hispanic population right now because I think this is about black people right now and, the, and, and particularly that issue. So we're trying not to expand it for ourselves out too much. There's, that needs to be addressed, but, but right now that's our issue. But what we have had to explain to the kids, which was a little tough conversation for me, how I'm, I'm white and Nicole's Hispanic. When they were born, we didn't know whether they would come out looking very dark Hispanic or very white. You, you don't know. Uh, there's no way to know. And so I've explained to them how they're going to have some white privilege because they look white. And that topic was originally a little hard for them to understand and so I had to give just more examples for them to understand what what exactly that means because I want them to be able to use use that privilege uh, that they have knowing their ancestry mm -hmm. they're pretty open also they'll ask questions and um, they're interested in in learning more so it hasn't really been hard here yeah. anyways Daniel you mentioned not wanting the momentum to fizzle. And it's been almost two weeks since the rally in Iola Square. Um, how do you guys feel looking back on the last couple of days? Do you feel as passionate now as you did then? Are you feel, you know, as eager as ever to keep engaging? Or do you feel like, okay, the spotlight's gone, it's moved on to something else? Um, I, first of all, was very excited and a little surprised that we were having a rally here so i mean we just came from kansas city and it was just like well yeah if they're if iola's having something like for sure we're going um so it was i was i was excited and happy um to hear that there was a rally here um my whole family went to it my mom and dad were in town with the kids and without a question all of us went there and um, we were happy to be there, but, um, I think it's been, um, since then, really, it's been for me and Daniel, we have been on board with this, like, just like you said, what was the phrase that you said, like a freight train, like, it's just not going to stop. Like we've been constant on educating ourselves and, um, informing ourselves, watching, you know, news interviews, like reading books and um, doing research. And it's been um, 
a little stressful at times to keep to keep going and to keep you know to not stop um, the momentum. Um, but do you feel the same way? Or I, I do. I think within the community, I've noticed that the energy is starting to go down. Uh, I think there's been less and less talk of it. For us personally, this was such a passionate thing for us that on our 15 year wedding anniversary, two weeks ago, we were supposed to be in Italy um, and that was gonna be our trip. And instead we spend it at a, a protest in Kansas City and spent the day starting to write the speech for the rally in Iola because when we found there was gonna be a rally here, I didn't want to take away from black voices because I thought theirs needed to be heard, but I wanted to speak. I felt very strongly I needed to speak as well. So it was, it was that strong of a feeling that we spent our, I guess, precious vacation time not relaxing and in, at the pool, instead preparing and educating for all of that. And How does it feel? Sorry. To, yeah. When you look at 2,000 plus protests across the country, rallies, protests, marches. To feel like little old Iola, Kansas, linked into a, you know, a national, a global, at this point, uh, movement. Bursting with pride Yeah, for I Iola. was really proud. Uh, I was, again, I, I was surprised um, that our small community would have um, a rally, so I was really excited and, again, like proud, proud I, that, we, that we had something here, that we had a rally hub. Um, just, you know, awareness that, that we yeah, had people, yeah. 250 plus people attending. That's a lot of people. I did not expect it to be that many. So many people watching on Facebook, so many people, I can see how many views on you know, YouTube, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, you know, viewing what was done here. So for example, well, the, the, the pledge that we did to not remain silent birthed from that rally. That's where that came from because we wanted to have people sign, originally sign it at the rally. That's in 28 states now. Um, we have over 1,800 signatures and our original goal was 100. Wow. And it's just continuing to expand. Most, most days or some days it was an average of 300 new signatures. And so it's, it just gives a lot of pride that Iola has addressed it and We've had a lot of feedback. I've had so much feedback from the community on it, positive feedback about it. So I, I, I couldn't be prouder of Iola for starting the discussion. And I have some ideas of, of continuing it because as Americans, as people, we're so busy and we move on to the next thing and the next thing. You know, the days of 381 days of a boycott, I'm not sure We've got the attention society. span for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what this movement's going to take if it's going to be a... I, that leads into the next question I wanted to ask. When you look at... Um, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. President Trump yesterday signed an executive order to address a lot of the issues around reforming policing in the United States. And both the Democrats in the House and the Republicans in the Senate are, are kind of tossing around um, legislation. But when you guys look at American society what what concrete things need to change when you think of and, and I know that a lot of it's about hearts and minds but I also think there's there is a place for discussing tangible ideas tangible laws systems these things got to change now I mean what, what do you guys 
look at is, yeah, we need to do this now. I love that question because what I've heard so much lately is people saying that it starts within your own home and that's, that's true, but I'm also hearing that it ends there, that it starts in your home and it ends in your home and that's it. And that's our only obligation. But I think there is so much more because, you know, I was a political science major and I didn't understand this concept until about three or four days ago, just researching some systemic uh, racism and realizing that it does start in someone's heart when they're younger and when they're raised, some racist thoughts, some prejudiced ideas. They grew up to become leaders of the community, politicians, bankers, everyday citizens who talk to everyone. So those prejudices they learned carries on and that's part of some of the systemic how that happens so tangible changes to be made you know there were some changes in, in police departments in kansas city i've mentioned there were six policy changes to help deal with the police brutality issue which i was very careful in my speech to make sure that I, that my belief is that being anti-racist does not necessarily mean you're anti-police and i had the sheriff thank me after the speech and we had a great conversation. But I think business leaders have an obligation to do something like our pledge, pledge to not allow racism, uh, prejudices, stereotypes within the workplace. My brother owns a huge uh, magazine company nationwide. It's a massive company. And he's been making efforts in every newsletter that goes out to hundreds of thousands of homes where he has a statement about the view on racial equality. And he's taking that stand and he may take some heat for that, but he's has the passion to ignore that it could hurt him financially, but he's going to do that. Uh, there are things in schools uh, I plan to, which I represent the school district, so maybe I have a, an ability to talk to them, but making sure that history is taught, not just whitewashed, but it's taught from you know, a black perspective as well. And so I think that's schools can do that. Um, within our local community, one thing I want to do sometime soon, and perhaps if the register is interested in, in assisting with it, is having a local community awareness forum. Uh, when, not to get too much into this, but when apartheid ended in South Africa, they had community forums where people on each side went into a room and heard the suffering and the hearts of the people that were subject to apartheid. So I think it would be really powerful in Iola to have a community forum where we have some of the black members of the community, uh, black students at the community college who I know they've spoken out. When we had the Small Creek and Coon Creek issue, they spoke out about their struggles being here. So I think hearing their voices and amplifying those black voices so they can be heard and so then people can no longer feel like there isn't a problem, that they hear it from them. One last question, just about having fun. <laughs> um, and I ask, I think, with two purposes. The first is um, just simply curiosity. What do you guys do for fun as a family? And then the second thing is, is this fun? Is there joy in this work for you? And where is it? How do you find the joy there? I think, um, I'll be quick, but um, I think 
Um, the joy for me is um, being educated. <laughs> like the joy for me is that I have more knowledge, um, that I can be prepared and that I know more than I did before. Um, like that's enjoyable to me. I'm, I'm happy that I am still working on that. Um, but also just that momentum again, going to um, the Black Lives Matter protests, like that's, you're there together and you're, um, you're in it together with such a, um, an enormous amount of, like a, a big crowd. So that, um, that's fun to be a part of something so Which awesome. is not words that I think most people would, who haven't been a part of this movement would, would, would understand or, or mm-hmm. um, would jump to the top of your mind. But I'm, I'm reminded of a photograph of a, a rally in Philly, in Philadelphia, and the crowd just gathered around what looked to be maybe, you know, a 10 or 12-year-old African-American girl dancing mm-hmm. in the middle of the rally. And it was just a spontaneous celebration of joy that yeah. felt very different from what most of the narrative around these protests right. has been. I mean, you, you say it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it that you uh, addressed that because when I first said that we were going to protests, uh, I got a lot of people worried that I was going to be violent and because that had been the narrative. What we experienced in the ones that we went to was something far different than that. There was solidarity between black people, white people, Hispanic people, there were Asian people, Native American people. Those are all, I didn't just list off random races. Those are all races that I saw at the rallies. And they were together. There were people there passing out. Everyone had a mask on. People were social distancing. People were passing out water for free, hand sanitizer for free, snacks for free, Um, all, in a very together, uh, we were, there were chants together. It was a solemn at times, joyful at times, certainly peaceful at all times. Uh, the vast majority of all these protests or rallies, uh, I, I do not like the word riot when they're being associated with this. There have been some riots, but that's not been what I've experienced. And I think when you're researching it or when someone's researching it, they're gonna find what they're looking for. So if they're looking for an article about riots, they're gonna find it. If they're looking for an article about it being peaceful, they're gonna find it. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer the question, I'll answer it pretty bluntly, it hasn't been fun, necessarily fun. It's been deeply satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Nicole and I watch a lot of TV at night. We have a couple series, not a lot, but you know, just, we have series. We haven't watched any of those since any of this started. Um, I stay up till at least one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning every single night working on this and some of the things that we've done for fun have taken a little bit of a, a on the back burner you know, I play a lot of golf haven't played, been playing quite as much we play with the kids we swim in our pool we do these things but so many in the community are hurting so much that an extremely small sacrifice of me not having as much fun right now is okay with me because it's going to take some of my comfort may go away, but the deep satisfaction of all of this is better than just fun for me. Uh, so some things we do for fun. The first fun I've had in the last two weeks was 
two nights two ago. ago. Yeah. I come home and Nicole's by the pool and we had a friend over and she taught us how to two-step because we really wanted to know. We taught her how to uh, merengue, just kind of like a salsa. And then Nicole and I, if the kids came outside and would have seen us, they thought we were crazy at midnight. We're dancing around the pool to our favorite rap music, just having fun. Uh, so that was, so we try to make time for the fun, but this has sort of taken over to an extent right now, and I'm okay with that trade-off. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks for helping me as I, I think one thing that, we're all on this journey. There's no end point. So I think it's fulfilling for me to, to learn with you guys through our conversation. So thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Registered is produced by the Iola Register. For more episodes, subscribe to Registered wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Registered or find us online at iolaregister.com slash registered. To support our work, please consider subscribing to The Register. You can find out more at iolaregister.com slash subscribe. And thank you.